welcome to another episode of Watch the Game presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host, Sam Blazer, and I'm joined this week with Mike Fail. Mike, how are you doing today? Uh, I just had some brunch with uh, an old friend of mine uh, in Vancouver here and uh, just laying on the, the couch in my, uh, my Airbnb, uh, just hanging out, so doing all right. That doesn't sound like too bad of a, of a day, especially like all of it tying together back in Vancouver. I've never been to Vancouver, but from everything I hear, supposedly it's amazing. Uh, what's it been like this far? Uh, so I got in yesterday. Um, it was, uh, it's, it's been like raining. I, I mean, it's not bad today, but uh, yesterday when I got in from Edmonton, uh, it was raining pretty badly. Um, I tried to get a cab to uh, go eat some tacos last night with some friends, and uh, somebody jacked my cab. Uh, the minute it showed up, and oh. then uh, I had to, I had to, I had to literally wait about forty-five minutes for another cab to show up in the the pouring rain, and uh, went out, uh, caught up with uh, some some folks, uh, some people might know, but um, ate some tacos, drank some cheap beer, shot the shit, uh, went outside, met a really cool dog, and uh, just called it a night after that. So, not like the not like the worst night, but. Uh, it, it recovered pretty nicely. I'm not sure if this is like a beginning of like a romantic comedy or if this is like just like something normal that happens in Vancouver. Uh, well, Grania from uh, Canucks Army, she was letting me know that the fact that I was even able to hail a cab when it was raining out was a pretty big deal. So uh, I think uh, I'm just kind of breaking the norms there. I know uh, one of the friends I showed up with, um, she actually had to share a cab with somebody because they got in when she got in and uh, so she had to split the fare and go to one location and then go to where we went to eat tacos after. So apparently people from Vancouver, uh, even though it rains here all the time, uh, like lose all sense of uh, understanding and manners when it comes to hailing a vehicle. How weird. <laughs> I can't even yeah. like put that together. But that's probably just me, you know, small country bumpkin living in a cow town in Ohio. That's that's just uh, I guess my small thinking there. But you're so you're in Vancouver, and you're obviously there for the analytics conference. Uh, so are you, are you excited to be there? What, what are you looking forward to the most, or what's what's uh, on your agenda while you're there? Um, well, I I have a habit now two years in a row where I don't actually read the itinerary of like, who's presenting or what they're presenting on. Um, it worked out really well last year because uh, I made I made uh, quite a few friends, and I learned quite a lot just from being kind of ill prepared. For showing up for an event but uh you know i'm always excited to sit down and talk to micah uh, our good pal micah blake mccurdy um just because he's such a an engaging speaker but besides that like he's such a fantastic human being uh, when you just like sit down and you know talk hockey or talk about anything else other than you know what we all love but um you know it's at, it's at the arena as well so like the connects are hosting it and i'm really grateful that they're doing something that nice for us but um it just I'm really excited to see everybody again. Um, I, like as you know, I'm, I'm kind of an antisocial person sometimes, so I don't really leave the house very often, especially when you know it's snowing in Edmonton and it's gross out. And I'm sure if you talk to Cam about it, he'll say the same thing. Like it's just mm-hmm. gross right now. But uh, I, it's just nice to get away from the the doldrums of like a nine to five life and uh, have no schedule really while you're here um, and do whatever the hell you want and hopefully learn something, but, uh, probably drink far too many beers and, uh, tell too many lies. So <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I can definitely, uh, 
I guess, uh, relate to you there. Next week, I'm going to be in New Orleans for an entire week with my girlfriend. So I'm going to be doing that, and I'm completely looking forward to it. I said to everyone, I was like, I'm not going to be looking at any hockey-related stuff for a while. So obviously yours is hockey-related, but I'm just kind of like, I, I want to just get away from this like shit just, just for a second so I don't even have to uh, think about it for even a moment. But, the um, worst part was uh, like last night with the Flames victory, like five nothing over the Habs. I, I was sitting there like, like trying to like not pay attention to it because if I disappear for a weekend and it's already hockey related stuff, like I kind of want to control how much I'm doing just because like this is kind of a full time job on the side on top of my day job. But um, it, it was hard not to say something last night after the Habs completely got their their asses handed to them, mm-hmm. albeit missing like four key players. But you know we'll take the five nothing win. Well, similarly, I uh, it was my girlfriend's birthday back in December, and it was when the Blue Jackets played the Penguins, and it was like during their streak when they beat them. I think it was like seven to one or eight to one, and uh, there was like a person a table over who kept like screaming at it, like about it, and like we're at this nice restaurant, no TVs in there. The only TVs that were in there were playing like these uh, like Clark Gable movies on like the the TV screen. So you're just like, okay, uh, I guess this is like the kind of aesthetic that you're going for. But like this guy was freaking out, and she kind of looked at me like, do not pull out your phone right now. She was like, we we are, we are not here to think or talk about hockey. And then we went to a bar afterwards, and I think I saw like the last three goals, and like Scott Hartnell scored a hat trick, and like she kind of like looked at me like, ah, I guess this is. I kind of knew this was going to happen anyway because I I had offered initially. I was like, I'll I'll buy tickets to this game. I was like, it'd be a pretty good birthday present. And she goes, this this is not for me at all. This is like completely for you. And I'm like, uh, I, I I guess you're right. <laughs> But I started uh, I started like putting my phone on uh, silent and do not disturb if I'm out with friends, especially with the hockey situation, just because uh, it it gets all consuming all the time. And especially on blowout games like that, where you, you get overly excited um, about every little thing, like I feel like those instances kind of get magnified on when it comes to fandom, like when mm-hmm. the team you when you the team you enjoy is actually going out and you know scoring like six or seven goals in a game. It's it's like every little thing that they do on the ice, like you get excited about. I can understand why there's some apprehension about it. I know, and I I'm just kind of glad to get away from it. But let's let's talk about hockey just a little while longer. Um, <laughs> so what I know you said that you're kind of going in with an open mind, but like, what's something that you're kind of looking forward to in regard to people to like presentations? I know you said that Micah was one of the people, and then there's other people that are out there at, like right now. Is there anything like overall that you're maybe excited about? in regards to like I, I wouldn't say presentation wise but like to hear them just hear them talk about hockey because i mean I, a lot of times uh i was planning on going to the rochester one and i remember there was the uh the media side of it with scott cullen and all that stuff and i remember like getting bits and pieces of it from uh sean tierney and i was like man that's that's something that i wish i could take in is there ever anything like when you go into these that you're like kind of more uh, open to than anything else Honestly, all of it. I, I feel like I'm a pretty open-minded person, let alone a really open, open-minded ho- hockey fan and, I guess, blogger slash analyst, if you want to call it that. But um, I know last year they had a media panel with um, one of the writers in Vancouver um, who writes for newspaper. His name is escaping me right now, but um, like our good pal Thomas Drance, who's now the, the Florida Panthers, uh, mm-hmm. he was up there as well. And it was really engaging. Like the, the media kind of, 
Q&A slash roundtable thing that they do where they they discuss like ideas and applying a lot of the principles and um, the numbers and the, the concepts into writing or putting it into the media so that it's digestible for the common fan. I thought it was really cool. Uh, I know Dimitri, our good pal who does the hockey PDO cast, he's doing, uh, I think he's doing something similar to that on Saturday, um, which will be fun just because Dimitri is such a, an engaging speaker and a really great guy. And um, I think he's doing something like the eye test versus the, the numbers test where he discusses something with Dan Murphy. And uh, Dan Murphy's like hilarious. Like I think he's one of the better guys on the media side. Um, so it's going to be pretty interesting. But um, generally, these com- like these conferences or conversations or get-togethers, like it's just cool to go sit in a room with a bunch of people who are curious and you know attentive, and they just they just want to learn something new and challenge their ideas. And that's mostly why I I came last year, and that's why I came again here. Is like an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to kind of grow as a hockey fan um, and challenge things that I might've believed in and I might not have a, a belief in it by the end of it uh, is pretty exciting. For sure. Without a doubt. Um, and for someone who's not necessarily into analytics, like say, say an outsider or someone who just casually watches hockey, who, what do you think the reason is that someone should be interested in analytics overall, or at least a year reasoning? I, I mean, I don't think that they should be, to be honest. Like um, it's very much, like everything is on a spectrum in my opinion and the same goes for ho- uh for hockey or basketball or baseball or golf or whatever sport you follow or if you don't follow a sport and you can be a casual fan and just kind of follow along and get the, the the basic understanding or you can dip your toes in a little bit further and you know do fantasy hockey and pay attention to like um scoring streaks or cold streaks or just general basic statistics that uh, everybody uses or you can dip your toes in a little bit further and look at uh you know betting odds and things like that or you can look into you know shot metrics or um the more advanced goalie save percentage metrics that are coming out or you can go one step further and start using um things like expected goal models or xpm uh the expected plus minus and you can go even further and start developing your own models and things like that. It just depends on what kind of person you are um, in your personal life and um, how you approach the game. And there's going to be a lot of traditionalists who will never pay attention to this stuff or think it's, you know, hokum or uh, snake oil. And there's going to be a lot of guys who are in the middle and they have their, their, their limits um, on which way they want to go with it. And then I guess you guys, I mean, you have uh, individuals like myself or, Micah or you or, um, you know, any of, you know, Carolyn Wilkie and all these wonderful people who will sit down for uh, an entire day in a room with a bunch of sweaty people and uh, (laughs) look at graphs and make weird mathematical jokes and have a good time and walk away from it being really fulfilled. But um, the best thing about being a sports fan is like there's no right or wrong way of being a sports fan really outside of you know trying to be respectful to everybody around you but you just you can take in as much information as you want and apply it as much as you want but um there's always going to be somebody in in either end of the spectrum or in between that will likely share your same outlook for sure i and i totally get what you're saying on that point uh that point because i mean at th- i wouldn't say in my this point my hockey fan but i, I guess i would is that if you enjoy certain parts of the game and you want to go and like look at certain parts of the game, I feel like that's where you should just like put your focus. And a lot of times, 
I think for people that don't understand or other people I've talked to before and I go, you know, if you could look at it this way, you may get a better understanding of this is it's kind of like some people just genuinely don't care. Like sometimes people just want to take it in for what the game is. And I think that there's something to that as well, where you're just kind of like, yeah, watch the game, man. I don't like do what you do, whatever you need to do. But this is like the way that I like it to enjoy. It, and this is the way that I like to analyze it. And I think that there, there doesn't necessarily need to be a crossover, but I think that there's definitely what you talked about a little bit of like a, a message of like inclusion and how like, you know, not necessarily discrediting one another is definitely important as well. And I think that's what uh, is interesting about these conferences is a lot of times there is a part of it where it's kind of like, yeah, this is how you'd kind of like understand it from this, this side of it. And that's why I think it's so important that these conferences take place. It's because a lot of the times or not a lot of times, almost every single time the people presenting are so darn smart that they're able to be, uh, you know, accessible in more ways than one. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, when you have speakers like Micah, uh, who I'll call him again, he's so engaging that he can break down, the most complex ideas into something so digestible that, you know, my grandparents who are in their eighties, they could likely understand. Like he, you just have to be very good at orating and presenting your ideas as clearly as possible. And also finding, you know, little things and nuances, like taking advantage of similes or analogies and things like that to make it applicable. But the inclusiveness thing is really important. And I know that uh, recently uh, Josh Weisbach had said that he wanted to see more inclusiveness in the the staff's community and um, maybe, draw emphasis on the uh i guess like bringing the women or um you know non-binary people or non-binary genders or uh just people uh in the community who don't get enough attention for a lot of the great ideas they have or they might not feel comfortable coming to these conferences because frankly you know there's some feedback about sloan over the last couple weeks here where just a bunch of white guys Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's not that's not one that's not a great representation of how things should go, let mm-hmm. alone um, where they should be going. And I know Ash on Ice, who's uh, the director of social media for HockeyStats.ca, uh, Greg Sinclair's website, she had written um, a brief kind of like paper or blog about an idea of bringing in uh, a Hockey is for Everyone conference, I believe, like in the West Coast during the spring or summer. Um, so if you get a chance, go to her Twitter feed. I think it's like her pinned tweet right now, or it shouldn't be too far down her timeline, but I saw it, uh, this morning, uh, before I went out for breakfast here and I think it's a really great idea. And I think she's got the right perspective on things where, where it's, if we did it in the off season, hypothetically, you could get, you know, people of color and a lot of the marginalized fans that don't get a lot of attention or they don't feel like these conferences are safe spaces for them, which is completely understandable. And, you get them talking about their experience and you can get people from the, you know, the NWHL or the CWHL and, you know, all these amazing people who just need a platform and we, we can give them that platform as long as people are willing to listen. And I think that, yeah, the community as a whole isn't quite where we should have it at this point. Um, but I think it's getting there. And I think something like this, if she was to organize it or a team or a group of individuals would organize it, I think it's something that would be really good. No, it definitely would be. I, I I think it's an understandable part of why some why why someone would think of it that way. And it's um, it's what needs to take place. And I think it's the next step in the in this journey, I guess, of hockey analytics. Is it's like you know it's now been somewhat accepted. And it's now more widely accepted. Now it needs to be inclusive to different people and um, of different creeds. And I think it's 
it's it's the next step and i think it's the next logical step so i'm excited to see where they they take it from there um now switching gears a little bit and i know this is uh you know a little late now but i haven't talked about the trade deadline on this podcast so i first i just kind of want to ask you what you thought about the trade deadline what you think about the trade deadline in general is there anything that you trade like not, not anything you trade but i'm saying is there anything that you change about the trade deadline um that hasn't already been done uh, it's such a spectacle from a media standpoint. Like I took the day off because you uh, you never really expect um, what the team you you cheer for is going to do, but let alone like writing about them or doing social media and stuff like that. And um, in the last a while here, like I accepted a new role at the Nation Network to start doing um, more stuff for all the sites. So it just made sense to take the day off and do some graphics for like NHL members and Oilers Nation and so forth. But it was like a it was just a waste of a day. Um, nothing really important happened because the, you know, the Kevin Schottenkirk deal happened before the deadline. And there wasn't really any, you know, groundbreaking trades or anything like that. Like, I guess you could say like a Gimla to the Kings was pretty shocking, um, given their current situation in the standings and, uh, their inability to score goals and where he's progressing or regressing in his career. And, um, the Curtis Lazar trade for the flames, I thought was, a uh, not the best use of resources when it comes to acquiring somebody um, who might be slumping or might just be a bust of a, a pick for what he was and where he was drafted. And um, it just, it just wasn't enjoyable. I know last season um, the deadline was a lot more exciting just because the flames made the, you know, the Chris Russell trade and that was a big deal for the, the team to get some picks back and um, draft or sorry, and some young players and see where they could go with that. And, um, it, it's just like the deadline gets so hyped and then you watch it and nothing happens. It's just talking heads. It's just a bunch of white mm-hmm. guys in suits for the most part. And, <laughs> you know, like TSN did their thing and TSN always tries to find a way to just make it a fun day for everybody. You know, they, they're very meta in the sense that they're just making jokes about things or you're using a slime cannon to shoot Marty Biron with it or, uh, you know, Sportsnet had Ilya Brizgalov on there, and I, I didn't watch too, too much of their coverage just because, um, you know, I watch enough Sportsnet as is, and I thought whatever I saw was relatively okay, but um, the the deadline itself is pretty stressful for players, and um, the media spectacle that it is kind of compounds it even further. Um, I don't think you can really change much about it because um, it, it, it's always going to be that, especially with the ratings that they're getting. Um but I think teams are going to get a lot smarter now in doing their deals before the deadline and just get it out of the way so they don't have to deal with, like, you know, oh, you guys had a big deadline. You know, what do you think about this? It's like that conversation is going to happen, but it's going to be uh, relative to the deadline itself. It's going to be a, a bit easier to manage and not overly hyped. No, yeah, and I think that's something that they'll, they'll probably try to rein in uh, a little bit. But here's the deal. But, like, if you were the person to run it, I want to. I want to know what you'd change about it. Like, what, what would you? What would you do to make it great? Um, uh, I would probably just cancel it. To be honest, like, <laughs> I, 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 one, I think that it, it creates a lot of like anxiety for fans and stuff like that, and um, in a good way and in a bad way. But it, I, I'm, a, it's, I'm pretty subdued about a lot of the stuff. I like. I feel like. They're just it, they're trying too hard, right? Like just call it like you don't even need to make a full day of coverage because frankly, 
the way that things have been trending the last couple of days. Like if you just did the, like a like a, a 10 a.m. to you know deadline kind of show rather than like it was like six or seven in the morning it started, mm-hmm. um, like Alberta time. It, it just seems like a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And if you have like five different TSN channels, do you really need to devote five feeds of it to five different TSN channels? So same goes with Sportsnet. Like um, I think they just overdo it and they're kind of missing what it is. They could be they. I think that they maybe could summarize things a little bit better. And um, if you have that much time to kill, I think that you could be doing a lot more maybe with stats or things like that. Like I know Adam Oates did uh, some really great work this year on breaking down skill sets on players. And I thought that was really cool, but uh, there wasn't enough, I guess, stats stuff for my liking. I think that you could really have brought in, um, you know, really use some of the guys in the industry who really get it and have been on TV before. And you know, okay, hey, like Kevin Shattenkirk is great for a lot of reasons. You know, he's a power, power play specialist. Like that's why the Caps got him. But and more importantly, like look at these even strength contributions and like look at what he could do from like a, a wins above replacement perspective and what he would add. You know, over over an 82 game regular season and kind of go into that. Like if you're going to have a platform like trade deadline day it's your perfect window of opportunity to kind of share information and maybe make um, a different pers- uh, different case, I guess, if you will, for the, the casual fan to maybe digest some of that information. Like, that would be the perfect time to do a stats primer. Like, oh, for you sure. have a 30-minute window and you have unprecedented level of, like, graphics and video and everything like that. Like, you could do a 30-minute window breaking down what Corsi is, what Fenwick is, you know, what... Uh, expected goals would look like you could do all these like fantastic things and then you have a resource that you can constantly go back to that's you know on the website somewhere that somebody's gonna hot link or you know favorite or bookmark or whatever mm-hmm. and it's like hey here you go somebody's asking you questions in your twitter mentions about you know what course he is watch this video because that way it's better than reading an article right or looking at an infographic mm-hmm. well another thing that's kind of frustrated me at least on the thought of the deadline show I mean, Sportsnet and TSN have done a great job in that regard, but I, I wonder why the heck NBC doesn't do anything, like for it. You know, like they they have the infrastructure; they could do it if they want. Uh, the NHL is one of their biggest entities, but they don't want to like invest in anything in it. <laughs> and I mean, the, when you have Elliot Friedman, when you have Bob McKenzie, I guess those those guys are the best of the best. So you don't really need to do it, but. Like I think what ended up happening when you, uh, if you turned it to NBCSN that day, is it was like big game fishing and you know, like big game hunting, and so it's like, well, I mean, I shouldn't you at least have like a little bit of something on there, you know, at least acknowledge it a tiny bit. There was more coverage I think on ESPN that day, which is like notoriously known for not covering as much hockey than there was on NBC, and I. And so I think it's frustrating as like an American hockey fan when you're trying to spread the game. I feel like that would be a perfect moment to even just like talk about like offsides or icing or things like that. Because I I like writing about hockey and all this stuff. I have friends who come up to me and they go, "Man, the Blue Jackets are doing really well." I but I really don't understand what icing is. I really don't know what charging is. And so like you, those kind of moments, I feel like you can't pass up on. And th- these type of t- type of time frames would be perfect to take advantage of that, but it's it's not easy apparently in Canada and not in America either. And I'm, I'm hoping at some point they'll be able to improve on that front because if you're going to dedicate nine hours, you might as well like get, dedicate an hour hour and a half of it to that and kind of splice it in whenever Elliot Friedman or Bob McKenzie needs to break a trade for you, right? 
Totally. And you know what? That's something I, I completely overlooked. Like, I know that hockey is, you know, continuing to uh, get ground in the States and especially like, I wouldn't say like non-traditional markets, but um, like Cleveland and Ohio definitely have had a rich history in hockey, but it's a great way, like you're saying to like, okay, here's what charging is like, you know, here's what embellishment looks like. Here's what, you know, interferences versus cross-checking or whatever. Um, and there's not a lot of resources that I think I've found that are very coherent on uh, relaying that information to fans. And honestly, that might actually be an avenue for a lot of um, bloggers or anything like that if they want a free idea. Um, do, a, do a video series or do a, an article breaking down every type of penalty because I still run into uh, casual fans here and there at, at games in Edmonton. Um, be it the Oil Kings and the WHL or an NHL game, and you know, there's some confusion about calls, or they ask me questions and things like that, and I try to do the best I can. But um, more educational content is always a good thing when it comes to relaying information or um, a sport or really anything that you're doing. It just makes it uh, a bit easier to understand what you're watching. Yeah, and so what we're basically saying is you hire Mike and you hire me and you just let us run the show and uh, it'll end up being ratings gold, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you <laughs> want to do that, uh, Fox Sports and uh, NBC and those guys definitely don't get annoyed with me enough on Twitter. Um, I'm sure that they would bring me on. Yeah, and you, you, you don't mess with their graphics enough to really ruffle their feathers, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm only blocked by like Fox Sports Arizona or something like that, so it's not a big deal. That's funny as hell. Now, uh, let's switch uh, gears to the Flames, because to, to borrow from Jeff Vayette, it seems like the Flames are actually good. What's like what's going on there? Because it seems, obviously, Kachuk's been having a great year. Gaudreau's been having a pretty darn good year as well. What's the uh, what's been going on in that front? Uh, I mean, I think it's really clear at this point. We need to make it audible that uh, firing Bob Hartley and hiring a coach who knew how to implement some sort of defensive zone structure and uh, puck support would uh, go a long way. But not only that. Um, it's just a combination of things like one, um, the three M line, uh, Kachuk, Backlund, and Furleek. Outside of maybe the the Bergeron line and uh, probably the Koibu line in Minnesota, they're pretty much the most dominant line in the NHL. And um, anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that you know I I tend to keep track of a lot of sequences and plays that they they do quite a bit, um, and they do it predominantly from the defensive zone. So. The 3M line is basically taking every tough start and most of the top matchups that you can get uh, night in and night out for the Flames. So that frees up the, the now top line of Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Michael Furland um, to give them a bit more offensive zone time and take away uh, a lot of the hurdles that they might encounter. Um, so that gives them an opportunity to do the one thing that uh, at least two out of three of those guys can do, which is just put up points. Um, and then... You know the third line isn't quite there. It's getting there. Like the the emergence of Chris Versteeg with Sam Bennett is a really nice tandem. Uh, it's the unfortunate side is Troy Brower is uh, as advertised and expected from his uh, signing last summer, which is completely underwhelming. Uh, he really can't move the needle at five versus five, and you know on the on the power play itself, he's not exactly the most effective forward as an, a net front presence, which he's being employed as. Um, but on the back end, uh, Dougie Hamilton and Mark Giordano might be one of the best defensive pairings in the league. Like they, with Giordano's kind of regression a bit due to age and you know things like that, uh, he's not as effective offensively as he used to be um, this year versus last season. His uh, his numbers have dropped off a little bit. 
Um, but what that's allowed is Dougie Hamilton, who is, uh, in my opinion, the Flames' best defenseman, uh, that just literally run ship and, you know, heal it. I'd have to look at Corey uh, Schneider's uh, zone tracking data um, and passing data that he submitted to Ryan Simpson's passing project, but I'm fairly certain uh, Dougie Hamilton's still like the best in terms of controlled zone exits and um, passes and things like that. But uh, he's also such a, a driving force at you know generating shots and uh, putting the puck on net. Like that's what makes him so vital. Um, and then you know. Brian Elliott regressing back to where he should be or slowly getting back to where he should be has been a big thing. Um, if you wanted to do uh, an interesting study on fan perception of which of goaltending in the NHL, um, if you looked over the tweet history of Flames fans from October to the end of the season, you could see the ebb and flow of uh, assessing goaltending talent based on uh, the performance of Chad Johnson and Brian Elliott in the sense that fans will decide with one goalie depending on the results of one game or even a period um and then kind of making the their decision from there but uh it's been a big turn of events because of brian elliott like he's still a pretty great goalie um he's not where he was last season obviously statistically in terms of of his results but uh, he's getting back there and you know last night he got a, a shutout finally um after about three or four opportunities that uh, unfortunately didn't work out. But yeah, it, that's basically been it. It's just been a, a series of compi- uh, compounding factors in a good way um, over the progress, uh, over, over the season, especially with uh, the shooting percentage drop-off uh, for a month and then them, uh, them just finding their legs again. It's like a confluence of just everything kind of coming together at the exact same time. It's interesting, and it's a, it's a lot of fun to watch, at least one of the games that I've been able to catch. Uh, what it's also interesting to me, and I don't think anybody's talked about it that much, is that uh, Glunson, uh, Mike Sullivan, and John Tortorella were all on the same coaching staff at one point in New York, and they all seem to be having this weird sort of success this year. I mean, Sullivan last year obviously won the Stanley Cup. But I think that there's something to be said about that coaching tree. I I don't know exactly what, what to pinpoint it on or what, what's been going on in that regard. But it's it's been fascinating. And I think the one thing that it's been, uh, I guess, interesting or compelling is that it seems like with all three of them, there there's been some support with for the defensemen the defensemen don't necessarily have to i mean they can do some of the leg work but they're getting given some freedom as well what have you noticed uh if anything at all with uh what he's brought to the defense it's mostly using them for what defensemen should be in the nhl in this era which is a they're the they're like the engine that drives offense like the puck going to the forwards and getting the play up by starts with your defenseman um that's why defensemen that can skate and move the puck are so vital um, if you don't have a defensive core that move the puck and uh, be efficient in that manner, you're not going to really find a lot of you know success getting into the offensive zone a lot of the time. Like you can't rely on your forward group to consistently do all that work. Um, and it, you know, obviously, it's a team sport without saying it. But um, if you have a guy like Dougie Hamilton or Mark Giordano and TJ Brody, who's you know unfortunately not the third guy where he, you know, last year he was the second guy, but he's the third guy this year. All three of those guys can move the puck really well. And if you have one of those guys on the ice with a forward group that is pretty dynamic with the flames outside of a few, uh, a few problems here and there, um, you can just kind of get into the offensive zone really easily. But um, the one thing that Gullitson has been doing a lot more with this team this year versus what Hartley was doing was um, when the flames are trying to break out of their own zone, they actually have the forward group supporting the defense a bit more. Um, under Hartley, it wasn't 
a pronounced thing that they were doing. And uh, obviously Hartley was known for trying to do the stretch pass, right? Like the the vintage Chris Russell's got the puck on a stick. He's got forwards in the neutral zone. And he you know, just flings it up ice and hoping that it connects so that uh, they can break into the offensive zone on a, like a counterattack. And it never really worked. And um, what we're seeing now is um, quicker regrouping in the defensive zone. So like they're not going to surrender to the puck on a, on a, a line change. They're going to kind of hold on to it. And as soon as uh, the forwards on the ice, they're going to cycle back up uh, through the neutral zone and into the offensive zone. Um, and the other thing that they're doing a lot more is uh, they're not really relying on controlled entries all the time. I think from our entry tracking that uh, Ryan Pike does for us at Flames Nation, I think that their overall controlled zone entry numbers are down a bit. But what we're seeing is players being utilized in the right way on those attacks to be on the forecheck and get you know get possession on a chip in or a dump in so uh it also helps with the defenseman jumping up into the rush um derek england has jumped up into the rush a lot more than you would have ever expected under bob hartley or even with the penguins like um sometimes it gets kind of scary because like he's a big guy <laughs> with size and if he's picking up speed like he'll mow somebody down like uh, by no means is Derek England a Norris Kyle defenseman or talented by any means, but he can be useful sometimes as like uh, just like getting in the way of people if he's up in the rush. But uh, if you get the chance or if anybody's listening, just get the chance and watch the Flames and how they, they the Flames defense interacts with, you know, the forward group, especially if they get an odd man break. Um, a three on one can quickly become a four on one or a four on two, uh, depending on which defensive pairings on the ice and which defenseman stepping up to get in and on that play. For sure, and uh, what do you think the uh, like the cap is on something like that? Do you think that they're uh, what's the ceiling on the Flames this year, and what they're going to be able to do um, overall? I feel like I they're currently in a wild card spot, but the Pacific is fairly weak. They still have a chance to bump Edmonton and bump Anaheim. Do you, where do you see their cap this year in the playoffs? Um, I didn't pick this team to be a playoff team. Um, I initially believed that. Uh, teams like Los Angeles and uh, St. Louis would be a little bit better off this season. I, I didn't expect uh, the Pacific Division to be like this. Um, I kind of expected the Oilers to be in the thick of things just because they have the second best player in the world right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but right now, uh, I figure like they're probably a playoff team. Um, I think they've got, what, like eight or nine points up on the Kings right now, and they're about seven points up on the Blues. So... Uh, like you said, they have a chance to usurp Edmonton. Um, at the time of recording this on, on the Friday here, uh, they actually have more wins than the Oilers, which is a good thing. The Oilers have a few more loser points. But uh, I think, they'll. I think if anything, they might sneak into that uh, second or third spot in the Pacific Division. I don't think that they're going to go any further than that. Uh, they kind of have a daunting schedule for the rest of the year. Um, it's nothing to write home about um, in the sense like, I don't think it's going to be easy by any means. Um, and they're on an eight-game winning streak right now, which means that could fall apart at any point. Uh, so they're going to be stealing points here and there. Like they play the, I think they close it the season um, against California like nonstop. So they're literally must-win games. I mean, I, let, me pref- let me rephrase that. Every game is a must-win game in the NHL, but mm-hmm. these games are like, you know, so much more vital than the other ones, obviously. But at the same time, like every game is vital, just like every save is timely. So, do you, do you think they make some playoff noise? Uh, if they get in, I think they, depending on who they get in the first round, they might get a first round win. Maybe it depends if everybody's healthy. 
Um, it depends on if Brian Elliott has any problems mm-hmm. or if they have to go back to Chad Johnson. But uh, they have a chance to maybe get out of the first round. Um, if they got out of the first round, they wouldn't go any further than the second round. But playoff hockey would be great. Yeah, and I think that's uh, what's what's always weird is a lot of people talk about the cup, and then there's always franchises that are uh, you know talking about you know we've never won the Stanley Cup, we've done something like this, and I I'm kind of just viewing this for the Blue Jackets. I'm like, man, if they can get it past the first round, I'm <laughs> that's gr- that's gravy for me. I'm 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 all good with that. And it's always weird where people place their expectations because at some point in time, I guess you have to get get it to this uh, you know grand level, but it's the expectations for like fans, franchises, everything else are just so weird and convoluted at times because you do, they're just different across the league. Not some franchises just don't have the Stanley Cup in mind, whether or not they want to admit it. Yeah, like this season, I I had really no aspirations for this team outside of like they're going to make steps forward systemically. Um, you know, their possession met, or I shouldn't say possession because I think it's a bad term now, but their shot metrics and. Um, expected goal metrics have greatly improved uh, under Gullipson and um, you know Paul Girard's running the penalty kill and Dave Cameron's doing the, the power play unfortunately but the, the the team as a whole is improving relative to where they were last year and the season before and so on so I think that's really all I had for expectations is like let's see what Johnny Gaudreau can do uh, with another year in the NHL let's see what Monaghan can do let's see what Michael Backlund who is you know clearly in the Selkie conversation can do and I mean, it, there's a there's probably a case to make him a heart nominee from this team as well. But and then you have Matthew Kachuk, who came out of nowhere. Nobody expected him to stick beyond nine games, and he's easily, you know, one of the best rookies in the league, let alone maybe one of the best players in the league um, for what he does. And then yeah, like you know, I just expected years, another year of progression in the right direction for this team, and they're overachieving a little bit, which is a good thing. Uh, the main thing I'd say to that is like fans just kind of curb your expectations from next year. Um, it's really hard to get caught up on uh, overperforming one season and then underwhelming the next. And Flames fans know that firsthand after the the playoffs in uh, you know 2014, 2015. But I think that the the core that they have in place in this team that they they started rebuilding a few years ago is is the right way to go about it, and they're going to keep getting better. And yeah, and I I don't think there's anything wrong with that, or the way at least viewing it in in that way. Uh, and I got a couple more questions for you before I let you go, Mike. I really appreciate your time. Um, but what what's the one like award that you're like uh, that you find like the most fascinating? A lot of people have been talking about the Calder when they've been coming on, but I've been kind of asking this question to everybody. But is there any award in general that you're kind of like? Huh. I wonder. I wonder how this is going to play out among uh, the league and the writers and all that. Uh, the Selkie. I think the Selkie is the most interesting award uh, for a lot of reasons, and this year is probably the best year to kind of be diving into it because so many of the perennial guys that you would expect to be number one in the conversation there might not actually be a case for. Uh, Anze Kopitar is having arguably his worst season in the NHL. So he's not going to be in the discussion, and if he makes it in there, that's egregious. Uh, uh, Petrice Bergeron, I think, will be uh, involved in that. But then you have the emergence of guys like Nino Niederreiter, uh, who's a you know a winger. He's not traditionally a center, um, and in my opinion, I think he Nino probably deserves more recognition for the Selkie than anybody else. But then you go down the list, and it's like Ryan Kessler's having a great year, where you wouldn't expect it in Anaheim and he's in the discussion. There's Michael Backlund who I think 
I mean, I'm a little bit biased, obviously, because I, I watch, you know, the Flames play every game. But I think that there is a considerable amount of evidence to suggest that Michael Backlund should be a nominee or a finalist. Uh, and you can kind of go down there. Miko Koivu has got some attention. Uh, I know Carolyn Wilkie had mentioned that uh, Mikhail Granlund might get some attention when she wrote a piece on this earlier. You can make the case that Connor McDavid deserves some attention. Um, you can go down, you pretty much can go down most teams and try and find a logical one, but um, it's not as clear cut. Uh, you're not going to see like a Jonathan Taves in, as a finalist this year, I hope. Uh, you're going to start seeing maybe a bit more emphasis on the guys who uh, have some really really fantastic underlying results that uh you know traditionally haven't gotten a lot of attention it's usually like oh he plays on the penalty kill he plays he, you know he's really good on face-offs like those are great things and they're tangible you know they're tangible skills and things that are worthwhile but at the end of the day if you have a guy like nino niederreiter who i think last time i checked he had like a at five versus five i think his relative course against for 60 minutes was like minus 13 or something stupid which mm. is just fantastic like you don't see that very often. Um, you you kind of want to draw attention to that, and I think he deserves some attention because, you know, relative to his peers when he's on the ice, you know, he's generating more shots, and he's also suppressing a whole lot more. So, like, he's got to be doing something correct in Minnesota. And, you know, coincidentally, these results start to come up when uh, they hire Boost Boudreau, who's, like, just such a fantastic player coach. So I think, uh, I think the Selkie is probably the most interesting one. Uh, I think the Calder Trophy is completely pointless. We know who's going to win it, mm-hmm. um, and there's going to be. And the unfortunate thing is, like the Calder Trophy this year has, you know, ten, you know, ten players that, you know, in any other year would have a strong case for it. Um, this is bonkers. And, yeah, and it's just like it's one of the best, you know, rookie years that I can imagine in or I can remember in you know quite some time. But uh, it, it's such a bummer that uh, guys like. Zach Rowensky or Matt Murray or Mitch Marner or uh, Matthew Kachuk um, or Aho you, you Nylander. Know. You can like the, like the yeah. list just goes on and on. It's nuts. It's out of this world. It's such a wonderful year for youth in the league. And it's just going to come down to two guys. And that's what it was going to be from the get go. And yeah, I mean, we can all enjoy these uh, individual journeys and in these years as uh, fantastic stories on their own. No doubt. Now, final question for me, and this isn't a question I've asked anyone, but I, I feel like you'll have some fun with it. But what's the one, what's the one trophy that you just get rid of, out of uh, like you know all the ones that are presented now? Uh, probably the uh, Jack Adams. I think rewarding a coach for a single year of success is uh, a little pointless at this, you know, with where we are as a, a league um, and as a fan base and as a, a group of media members. I. It, it just doesn't make any sense because it's ignoring so many other people who have had positive impacts across the league. Like you don't see a coach win as an assistant coach for that matter. Like a guy like Lane Lambert or uh, Todd Reardon in Washington, who's done some amazing things or Paul Gerard in Calgary, who's reworked the penalty kill and done these things. Like you don't see the assistant coaches or the associate coaches getting any attention. It's always the head coach. Um, and it misses the forest for the trees. And we know that, Recently, a lot of coaches who win it are simply winning it because the team outperformed expectations, and most of it's PDO-driven, uh, and there's a lot of examples of that. And I think it would be much more interesting to change the award to draw attention to the coaching staff versus the head coach, uh, or just get rid of it altogether. Um, it, it, 
I think that as you know, it's 2017. I think we could do a little bit better than saying, "Oh, this this coach was the best in the NHL this year." It's like, well, no. There's uh, there's a lot of other factors at play. Yeah, and I I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, what what are you really supposed to do? A lot of times, it's become the quote unquote PDO award. Uh, it's been said in the past, and you know, it raises expectations for that coach, and then after they don't meet them, it's just like it becomes this weird nebulous thing, and I don't really know how to, how to properly approach it and how to make it into what it's supposed to be. Now, Mike, before I let you go, uh, I want to give you the floor. I want to I want people to know where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find uh, your work, and then uh, anything you want to plug, TV, movie, anything going on in your life, um, the floor is now yours. Yeah, um, so Twitter is at uh, MikeFail. Um, I run the social media and the community management for Flames Nation, so flamesnation.ca. I'm the director of good content at the nation network um we just did a big revamp on all of our websites um nhl numbers is getting a rework pretty soon as well so you go check that out um yeah i I write infrequently at this point just because i'm always doing stuff for other websites or uh posting stuff on twitter um i guess like I'll, i'll plug one thing which is really important to me which is uh my mental health um i recently started going to therapy to manage my anxiety I would encourage everybody who's comfortable and uh, aware that maybe they do need help to go seek out some some support if they have that option, or if uh, they just need somebody to talk to. Uh, you have friends and family if uh, that's ever ever be extended, or if you want to vent to me, uh, you can always. DM I've done me. that my, before. Yeah, my DMs <laughs> are open. Um, we're all struggling sometimes, and we always need to just vent and talk about things. Or um, if you need a little push in the right direction from people you trust to go get uh, support or therapy, I would really recommend that. Awesome. Mike, I appreciate you coming on, talking about hockey, talking about your life. I, it always means a lot whenever you come on here and uh, <laughs> give me your time. Yeah, no problem. Man.